Welcome to the Founding Fearless podcast. We're your hosts, Ingrid and Cameron, and we're here to support you through your journey in becoming a fearless leader and discovering your inner confidence. We are talking all things entrepreneurial through a college woman's lens. We hope to leave you feeling empowered after each episode. Enjoy! Welcome everyone to our very first live recording of the Founding Fearless podcast. So today we're talking to Cheval. Cheval is the Chief Inspiration Officer of She Is Cheval. You may recognize her as the designer from Say Yes to the Dress, but she has grown her career so much since then. And she'll tell you some of it was an uphill battle. She has fought hard to take her entrepreneurial journey on her terms, and I think we can all learn a few things from her. Yes, so please join me in welcoming Cheval to the Founding Fearless podcast. What do you think of the, the intro song? I'm really excited about it. Well, let's get started. So our very first question that we ask all of our guests is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Well, for those of you that are fans of Say Yes to the Dress, I am formerly known as a wedding dress designer and by my birth name, which I can no longer use even to publicly identify myself, which we will get into. (laughs) Um, But I actually grew up in Northern California and 90s kid, you know, slap bracelets, Tamagotchis, glitter hair gel, Disney princesses, the works, yes. Uh, But I was exposed to creativity really young in life. My grandmother taught me to sew, and so I just automatically loved it on a sentimental level, and um, it progressed from there, of course, but I, I would say I really benefited from my education because that's where I really learned the dexterity of design and pattern making and sewing, and it gave a sense of viability, which was really important for me. And I think a lot of young creatives out there, you know, kind of doubt their skill set. And so that was a, a way for me to get conviction and confidence in what I was doing. Yeah. And when did you realize, like, through that journey that you wanted to become an actual fashion designer? Was there, like, a specific moment or was it just kind of part of your journey that you always knew? I don't remember a time where it wasn't my biggest dream to be a wedding dress designer. Um, but I definitely feel that when your soul is really speaking to you about something you're excited about, you should pay attention to that, you know, and no one is ever going to give you permission to express joy. And if you're finding joy in something that you're doing, you know, just giddy up and go with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's something today that we're talking about in all of our breakout sessions is passion, right, and following your passion and sticking to that, you know, whatever it is. So our next question for you is, how was the journey from being a budding fashion designer to then landing your own label at your previous employer? How old were you and how was that process? I definitely had, I would say, a profound industry experience. And I'm somebody that believes that you should really throw yourself into a lot of different things because you never know what kind of stimulus is gonna just get you on a whole new path in life. Um, But I actually worked for a high fashion company right out of college and then jumped into bridal at Priscilla of Boston. And I learned a lot about overseeing manufacturing and the difference between working in a sample room. There's a lot of technicality when it comes to design, uh, but you really do just wanna pay attention um, to how your skills are progressing and what you're nurturing. 
And for me, you know, I went all in on women's wear and specifically dress wear. And I think that was a big benefit because it allowed me to just be an emotional designer in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm very grateful for that journey. And all the while I was actually building a business model with a girlfriend of mine. It was a company called Something Borrowed and I learned how to pitch um, and speak publicly because it can be very daunting. But that's so important to kind of throw yourself into at a, um, a young point in your career is learn how to kind of stand up and speak and get used to pitching yourself and selling yourself, even if you're more of a dark horse and like to be behind the scenes. Um, so that was a big part of my journey because when I found my former employer, um, I actually pitched a business model. So I didn't just come in from a design aspect, I came in with a broader understanding of what I wanted to accomplish there. Um, so I was 25 years old when that happened. Yeah. Wow, so I feel like so many people grow up and they dream of being a fashion designer and you had that dream job, but you kind of mentioned that there was a rocky road so um, with your former employer. So kind of explain that situation for people that might not be familiar with what happened. There was definitely a snafu. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I signed an employment agreement for a head designer position. And at the time, it seemed very reasonable that I would have to give the right for my name to be trademarked, of course, because that was the name of the bridal collection I was designing. What I didn't understand was how that could be interpreted later on. Um, so, you know, I'm going about my business. My dream job is here. I'm putting out thousands of dresses. I absolutely love what I do. And I noticed that a lot of the things I was taking on to help grow the business kind of fell outside of what I believe to be the scope of design work. And I was happy to do it because I was so bent on wanting to prove myself and, you know, earn my stripes and so hyper-focused on, you know, showing what I was made of that a lot of other things kind of fell by the wayside. And, uh, when it came down to renegotiate my contract, you know, I really came from it from a perspective of, you know, I've bought a lot of things outside of the design space, in my opinion, and I would like my new contract to reflect those contributions and really carve out proper boundaries. And, um, you know, I was not met with the same sentiment. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Um, <laughs> and it led to this really traumatizing negotiation period. And I'm definitely a people pleaser, I'm a team player, and you know, a lot of times when you come from that place, you tend to push aside your own interests and needs. And this was really the first time I felt like, you know what, I have strength and I can stand up for myself and I'm gonna get the contract I know I think I deserve. And I was met with a federal lawsuit, um, which was terrifying while I was working at the company. Nothing makes you adult harder than a lawsuit. <laughs> um, and so, I was brought with this lawsuit and one of the biggest factors in it was my social media account, ironically, because I had opened what I always thought to be my personal account. I ran it as such. Nothing was ever reimbursed you know, on a business level. And the company had assumed ownership of that account um, for a number of reasons. And that was, you know, I mean, a huge violation in my opinion because I was speaking to my family members and friends and my fiance and, you know, it just felt like a very private thing for me. And so all of a sudden this was at risk and within a 24 hour period, I had to turn over my passwords. 
I could no longer use my own name to publicly identify myself. And um, a number of other things have happened since then. So it's been two and a half years almost of litigation. Wow, I mean, that's just an incredible story. I can't even imagine how that must have been like for you. Um, so I know you mentioned that you're not able to use your birth name. So how has that mentally you know, affected you as well as commercially? It's interesting because there's three factors to what had happened to me because first it was the name, which just kind of seemed ridiculous because I was like, why? But then the how and, you know, so I just didn't know where to put that. So for a while I was going by a girl you might know because maybe you watch this, the dress, maybe you know me, I don't know. Um, but it was kind of a fun play on words and that's actually the title name we're using for our foundation, which supports the interests of young designers and creatives, especially during the formative years of their career. Um, but it was just unusual. And so I didn't really process that as much. The second phase was the social media because this really was my relationships with people. And I really had a hard time understanding why that, why or how that could be infiltrated. And I always spoke from such an authentic place on social media that it made me feel like there was a misrepresentation. Um, so that was a relationship thing. But the third was my sense of purpose because I realized how much I identified as a designer. And I am now under a five-year non-compete where I cannot identify to the trade as a designer in which my former employer manufactures and sells. And so that challenged my sense of self. And it was, you know, all-consuming. I had to realize a whole new part of me. You know, there was an identity crisis in there, but we'll get to some better parts yeah, about it. We definitely <laughs> will get there. So, okay, so we kind of mentioned, and like you had already said, you chose the new name of Cheval. So how did you choose that name, and like, what does it mean to you? Cheval is a running against the wind, and it was something that I just felt excited about stepping into, and when I was going through, you know, what felt like a devastation to a lot of my experience and career, actually ended up being a reinvention. And I'm a very musical person, so I kind of thought of it as, you know, what do these great artists do when they come out with a new album? They kind of reinvent. They think of a new album name and a new chapter of their music. And so this could be my new chapter. So Cheval means horse in French. And for those of you that, you know, don't know about my aesthetic, I am a very girly girl. Um, and I, I love just putting it out there in an imaginative kind of way. I've always identified with unicorns and sparkle princesses, you know, and that just will never leave me. So um, that was a big part of it. It just, it was like, this is something I, I'm ready for. Yeah. Well, I, I love how you were able, though, to take this situation, especially that you weren't able to use your birth name, and then you use it to flourish. And that's what we're talking about all today. Um, so how has your role changed throughout this entire journey? in being a designer and then now with your company, She is Cheval. I think it's important to not argue from a place of your limitations. Because when you do put labels on yourself and you do identify a certain way, you are kind of boxing yourself in. And so for me, now that I could no longer identify with my given name or my chosen trade, I kind of had to look really big picture at things. And what I saw really was a silver lining in being able to potentially reach even more women that aren't engaged, you know, and getting back out there and really exercising those muscles of 
just adversity. Um, and I, I saw it so much as an opportunity because there are a lot of people that aren't afforded a new start or a new chance. And, you know, as a creator, what did I do? I created a new name, you know, like that was pretty fun. Um, so that's kind of one of the ways I looked at it. Yeah, and obviously you're doing amazing now with Shia Cheval and we love all the products. So how have you pivoted from designing bridal gowns to shoes? Like what has that process looked like? And how is it different? Because I'm sure there's yeah. many, yeah. many differences. <laughs> um, yeah, shoes are a totally different medium from wedding dresses. And uh, I will say, I think I took a lot of liberties in dress wear because everything gets tailored and fit to you, whereas a shoe does not, you know? So you kind of have to get the technicality of it right. Um, so there's been some challenges, but there has been a lot of transfer in my skill set, which is great. And there was familiarity I felt in the community and the support system, and they have just been so gracious and patient with me because when you enter a new field like that, you obviously feel like a new kid on the block, and it can be really scary to think, gosh, there's so many great designers already in that space. There's so many people already doing what I wanna do. How can I possibly get in there? And you wanna be careful not to detour yourself from the things you tell yourself. You know, like don't sabotage your chances because you getting out there is an opportunity to find a niche for yourself and you're gonna find a whole nother demographic that you never knew you could have had. Um, and it's all about really forward momentum. Well, I think it's incredible. I mean, obviously your story, but also how, look, I mean, our audience and our listeners and our virtual audience Cheval is an incredible designer, and she is still going through the learning process as well. It's something that we all go through. Um, so it's a great experience <laughs> that we could all resonate with. Forever a work in progress, I will say that. <laughs> so um, our next question for you is, given um, that because of the court ruling, you can't truly do what brings you joy um, designing bridal gowns, how do you continue to show up and to stay motivated? Motivation is not something that comes every day. And the first thing I'll say is that when you have something that you really love um, and you happen to be good at it, just double down on that and go full speed ahead. Um, my dad used to say this thing that, you know, if you're a duck in water, you know, you look like this little peaceful duck, you're going about your business, but underwater you're paddling like hell, you know, just, just to get to that place. Um, and so for me, when I was obviously limited on what I could do, I had to think, outside of the weeds. I didn't want to be stuck in those details because a lawsuit can really pull you back. Um, and I thought about what do I want to do? What is my personal mission statement? I like women, I like to make women feel good about themselves. And, and that was it. I, I love to do that with shiny things. And you know, it seems simple, but women have to go through so many barriers to entry these days let alone what we say to ourselves, you know, that we have to fight. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I can find a new medium to do that. So, yeah, that's amazing. So you yeah. talked about like using social media in your previous job. So how have you kind of used that now to leverage and spread awareness on this issue? Social media allows for a lot of transparency and it can help you control your message. I think we all have to be very careful about the interpretation of things, you know? And that's not to say you have to be everything to everyone, but when you do post something on social media, you have an accountability of what you're putting out into the world. And I think that's kind of sometimes what separates influencers from leaders, is that there is like a little bit more of a filter in what is the takeaway. 
And in my situation, I've actually been held accountable for how people have interpreted what I've said, in a, in a courtroom even. And so that has just made me a little bit more aware of the impact I can have. Um, and it's kind of like a social etiquette. And it's forever changing because as you know, social media just can be so overwhelming at times. But remember that sometimes you don't have to create the content, sometimes you can just be the content. And that's kind of what I did in this situation. I came out with my story. I felt like injustice was making the rules and it required a ton of bravery just to get out there and not worry about you know, massaging any negativity, just, just be a force so that other people can feel like they can pick up by their bootstraps as well. I mean, Cheval is a perfect name for that, right? So. <laughs> okay, so uh, our next question. So our listeners who listen to this podcast are primarily female-identifying students who are of college age or in college. Um, and so a lot of them are really interested in how they can prepare now for a future in entrepreneurship. So what advice would you give to uh, our audience like that? A lot of entrepreneurship in the beginning is in gratis and in gratitude. <laughs> and I say that in gratis because you're gonna be doing so many things for free. <laughs> but, but do it because you wanna say yes. And I know I come from saying yes. <laughs> um, but you do wanna just put yourself out there. That's what we're all doing. We're just winging it, you know? I say that like my eyeliner. It, it just put yourself out there um, because you never know what could come from these experiences. And the gratitude side of it is that we do live life through comparison. And with social media, it's so easy to just look at someone and, oh, this is effortless, look what she's, he, whoever's doing, it's just so amazing. And if you're gonna compare yourself to somebody that's above you, you also need to look at how privileged and wonderful it is to be in your position um, and to have the resources you do have and to have those opportunities and to see it as you know, a place where you can pay it forward and eventually someday give back and help somebody else that maybe doesn't have access to the opportunities or the support system that you have. So that's kind of the first stage of entrepreneurship. The second is be a mermaid. <laughs> um, there's this Anais Neen quote, and it's, I, I must be a mermaid because I have no fear of depth and I have great fear of shallow living. And I think that's a wonderful thing to look at for your business. Um, you don't want to just be invested in optics and it looks shiny and beautiful on the outside. You want to know your numbers. You want to go deep diving. You want to charter a new path, create a current for yourself because you are always going to be swimming. There's never a time where you're not swimming. A lot of times you're going to be swimming upstream, um, but sometimes you'll find that beautiful cascading waterfall and it'll be wonderful. The third part of this is um, to try and detach yourself from outcomes. Because I'm, I'm such an achievement-focused person, I'm like, oh, I just need to get to that next goal. And a lot of times you forget to be mindful of the process and what beauty comes in the day in, day out of that work that you're doing. The, the common thread in every entrepreneur is that they love to work. <laughs> love it. You know, you just wanna be in it and you wanna be close to the fire and that is such a beautiful thing if you've got that. Um, because you have a lot of progress ahead and just a lot of people that you're gonna influence in a very, very good way. Yeah, I love that advice, especially for college students because I think that we're in a time where we're focused on grades and achieving all of those things. And so I think just not focusing necessarily on the outcome and just your journey to get there and all the things that you're learning is so important. So yeah, 
so much of it is uncertain too, you know? I made that mistake, the third one, because (laughs) I was looking forward to getting back into bridal design. And five days before my contract was up, I couldn't do it anymore. So I was was like, oh my gosh, I got this five-year non-compete. I am gonna have to figure something out here. (laughs) What else can I do? (laughs) Well, that actually takes us perfect into our next question. So given your experience, do you think risk-taking is part of every journey? Yes. Um, it's funny, when I think of risk, I think of whisk, which makes me think of whiskers, which makes me think of whack-a-mole, <laughs> which is exactly what risks are. They pop up out of nowhere, and sometimes they just are things that you never thought could happen. They're so unexpected. And um, one of the best things about handling risk or mitigating any type of problem, problem in your business is having amazing people around you that can fight it with you. And I managed to find these two women um, that are my co-founders, and they are just like my ninja Jedi warriors, you know, and they they help me handle so much of the issue within the business. It also allows us to kind of specialize. Um, And one of the other great pieces to this is having a great mentor, you know, really finding somebody that has been there, done that, you know, can help you with direction. You don't want to be asking somebody where you should go if they've never been there. Um, and so that's been a really big piece for, for us as well as having great mentors. Yeah, I love how you mentioned your community. I think that's so important. Um, not just you know the community that actually supports you in your day-to-day with your business or whatever goal you have. Um, we have that with KS Swelly. This is an amazing time for you guys to all make meet your community and make new connections, but also family as well. And I know you mentioned to us earlier that your parents are in the audience. Yes, so they are. I love your parents. <laughs> I'm to so say that girl. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually my parents are so wonderful. I've had this amazing support system and I feel very privileged in that. Um, but I think one of the best things about a support system is that it holds you accountable. You know, and you don't want to be around people that are saying yes to you all the time. You want people that kind of are aware of your blind spots, and actually my fiance has been one of the best people for that in my life because you know, you do want somebody to kind of play the devil's advocate at times and just wants you to succeed. You know, like do not waste your time trying to convince somebody who is already committed to misunderstanding you. Just, there's too many other good people out there, just grab those ones, you know? That's really great. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so your, your parents are here, where, where are they? Front row, of course. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. And your fiance too? And my fiance. Okay. <laughs> well, um, our next question for you is, what advice would you give yourself now, given your experience, your journey, successes, and also just your journey in general? This is such a big question, and I'm changing my answer thinking about it. But I think I would say that going after your dreams should not come at the expense of who you are and your morals. Um, And for me, in all that I've been through, I think I am very proud of the fact that, yeah, I've had to change my name, I've had to change my trade, but I still me. I still feel like me. I actually feel more me than I did before. for so long, I was afraid of kicking up dust, you know? And when you were chasing down that dream and you were trailblazing, you were running against the wind, you know, sweat everywhere. It's like, you are going to kick up dust and you, you should be. The best thing about dust is that it can settle. 
you know, or you can yeah. brush it off, you know, so that's kind of last my forever. mantra, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, so now we're going to transition into our rapid fire question segment. So this is a segment that we do with all of our guests um, where we just ask a series of questions. We just want to hear the first thing that comes to your mind just to get to know you a little bit more personally. So the first question is, what is something that no one would expect about you? I believe in the Phoebe Buffet running method which is like where you're running crazy or like oh. you're listening to music and you just don't care what's happening around you. It is like the best mood booster. So I believe in that. Have to try that out. I yeah. love that. No, I, I always love that first question. Um, before this, when we were backstage, we were saying, this is the question, like the, what's something would, that no one would expect about you. Everyone always like stumbles and they're like, oh, I don't know what to say. So, <laughs> but and then they come fun. up with the best things that we would have never expected. So it ends up being great. Yes. <laughs> okay. So uh, our next question in rapid fire is, what is your morning routine? Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what does it look like? coffee and a computer screen. I'm such a fast morning person. It's like, I got to get to work. I got to do something. And that kind of carries the momentum. I'm not really like a woo-saw morning person. I wish I was, and I could like meditate because I know it's very good for you. Yeah. But. Yeah. That actually, I think resonates yeah. with a lot of people here because we see like you were saying on social media comparison, like, oh, I have three hours in the morning to wash my hair and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't do that. And I don't think a lot of other people can either. So, okay. The next question is who is your favorite entrepreneur or leader? Dolly Parton. Ooh. You know why? You know why? Uh, some secret sauce about that. Cause so Cameron and I, a little backstory here. We took uh, the KS Belly sponsored course called woman in entrepreneurship that is taught by both Jan Ryan and Kendra Scott. And I don't know if you remember Cameron or not. Kendra Scott also said that her favorite, I think, yeah. Leader, don't quote me on this. We can ask her when she comes. Uh, is also Dolly Parton. Yeah. So I love that. You're in good company there. <laughs> okay. So uh, next question is, what is your favorite shoe from your brand? She is Cheval. It's a favorite child. Um, no. <laughs> Actually, I think the sneakers, which is kind of funny because I'm such a heel girl and I love boots. Um, but but the sneakers is where I think we can push the novelty factor a little more with rhinestones yes. and fun stuff on I was going to say, I've, I haven't seen a lot of sneakers with rhinestones on them, and you guys nail it on that. You. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next question is, what is your favorite, like, self-help book or podcast or thing that you do for that? Oh, love podcasts. Um, I love Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes. But then I also love, like, Malcolm Gladwell and Robert Greene. I think it really good if you're if yeah. you're in a stuck position put in a great podcast and and have at it because it'll get you in a good mood oh yeah no seriously like whenever I wake up in the morning and I'm like oh I have to wake up I have to go to school I put a podcast on and I'm just like okay I learned something new learn something new I, I hear someone else's story yeah it's the perfect way to start your day very productive so you should listen to Smounding Fearless <laughs> absolutely um, okay so our final question uh, that we ask all of our guests and it's always my most favorite question to ask is what does founding fearless mean to you there's a tendency to think that fearless means without fear but it's really fear less and you have to operate in spite of there being fear you just gotta want it more than you're afraid of it simple as that like Ingrid beautiful. said, that is like one of my favorite answers to hear too, because people have yeah. such a unique to like what your journey is. So 
Yeah. Love that. Okay, well, this was such a fun conversation. Now, I know that you mentioned a little bit about your foundation. We would love to hear about that. And then also where people can find you and support She is Cheval. So all that amazing information. Awesome. Um, well, I get to announce today for the first time that a Girl You Might Know Foundation is launching on International Women's Day. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. Um, very grateful of my team. Um, and uh, this is a foundation that will really provide legal resources and negotiation curriculum and all kinds of goodies to help you get out there and take that best first step forward. Um, learning through experience, I don't mind being the beware story these days, um, but I also wanna make sure it doesn't happen again. So that's yeah. what this foundation will be about. So important. That's just so incredible, and I love that you're going to be doing that. So I'm Thank so excited you. to see what your foundation, like, what the future holds. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. And where can people support you and Chia Cheval? Because we yes. want to make sure everyone knows about the exciting event tomorrow oh, and of everything. Yes. Yeah, so we, um, sheascheval.com is our website, and we also have the privilege of a little pop-up this weekend at Kendra Scott's flagship on South Congress. Um, I'm doing a meet and greet tomorrow from five to seven there, and then a full day of shoe, sparkle shoe shopping <laughs> on Sunday um, from 11 to five, so come visit us anytime. And I, I have two Instagrams now. Um, <laughs> one, our, our business account is She is Cheval, at She is Cheval, and then I have all that glitters on the gram. <laughs> I love that name, by the way. I love it. I'm like, what's the longest possible handle? <laughs> but yeah, it was actually our, my fiance and my podcast account originally. So I use that as well. Awesome. Yeah, well, that's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on our first ever live recording of the Founding Fearless podcast. This was such an amazing conversation. And I know it's going to resonate with our audience here, our audience online, and all the people that are going to be listening after this. So thank Aww, you. Yeehaw. Thank you I so wanted much. to say that because I'm in Austin. <laughs> No, you oh, have yeah. to. It's the hookup that we have to do. Hookup. Oh, no. <laughs> Aw, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to subscribe and follow the Founding Fearless podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave us a review.